0: I find people tend to overshare or undershare. You know, uh, they either don't say anything at all or they try and share too much and then the the other person is just not ready for all that information. So our role is just to nudge them. And so instead of trying to get people to necessarily get a Bible study right away, we might just say, what is it that this person needs to hear right now that might be helpful for them? So... uh, I typically have a three-fold strategy when I'm meeting people. I'm praying and I'm often praying for particular people or for people I'm going to meet. Uh, Then I am caring for them because I find that people will respond when we care. Um, And then finally I'm sharing with them, so there's a definite order.
1: I don't know about you, but as I look forward to the new year, I am often motivated to reevaluate my priorities and set goals for the upcoming year. These goals, for the most part, fall into three categories personal, usually related to improving my spiritual and physical health, relational, usually related to my family and friends, and professional, usually related to growth and continuing education. I'm sure you can relate. But one goal category that I often omit from my list is evangelism. How do I plan on personally sharing the gospel in the coming year? And what am I hoping to see accomplished through my efforts? I mean, if I am a Christian and am taking my faith at least halfway seriously, then there's no way I can ignore what God has actually asked me to do with my life, right? I mean, Jesus literally said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. I mean, Jesus wasn't just speaking to the church here. He was actually speaking to each of us as individuals. He told us to go. And so as a Christian... If this is what Jesus has asked me to do, then why wouldn't I automatically include it in my yearly goal-setting exercise? And yet, most of us have left it out. And some of us have never even included it. Why is that? Well, I think it's because some of us doubt whether or not it's even right to do anymore. I mean, we believe Christianity is good, But we're just not sure if it's okay to share with someone who may or may not be interested in what we have to say. In fact, in a recent poll, Barna found that 50% of young adult Christians agreed with the following statement. I believe it is wrong to share one's personal faith with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith as me. So obviously, if up to half believe it is wrong to share our faith with someone with the hopes that they'll become a Christian, not many of us are going to make it a goal to accomplish it in the coming year. In commenting on these startling findings, Barna President David Kinnaman said, Cultivating deep, steady, resilient Christian conviction is difficult in a world of you do you and don't criticize anyone's life choices and emotivism the feelings first priority that our culture makes a way of life as much as ever evangelism isn't just about saving the unsaved but reminding ourselves that this stuff matters that the bible is trustworthy and that jesus changes everything in light of this current trend to move away from evangelism i wanted to explore it more with someone who really has a pulse on this Thankfully, in this episode, I was able to interview Dr. Alan Parker, who currently serves as professor of missions and evangelism at Southern Adventist University. Originally from South Africa, Dr. Parker has been heavily involved with conducting evangelistic seminars as well as training young people how to preach and share their faith effectively. Formerly through the Amazing Facts College of Evangelism, and now through SALT, which stands for Soul Winning and Leadership Training. I hope you enjoy the interview as much as I did, and that you will be encouraged to set a personal evangelistic goal for yourself in 2020 as a result. I started the interview by asking him what he's up to these days.
0: Well, I am teaching at a Christian university, so I get to teach religion, but my area of focus is really evangelism and missions. And so with that, I've been involved in church planting and uh, running a, an evangelism training school. So the next six months, uh, we're looking to, do we do another church plant or do we uh, just see through our church building project that we're in right now? So that's that's kind of where we're at for the next six months.
1: Wow, that sounds pretty busy, and uh, I'm sure... That is something that you're passionate about, mm-hmm. or you wouldn't do it. So, evangelism has been something that has been part of your um, journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you say? And how how uh, how have you gotten to where you are now in involved in teaching and church planning and and uh, and engaging um, the community with the gospel? Like, uh, tell us a little bit about like how you got to this point. Well,
0: I, I came from a secular background in Southern Africa, so. My great-grandfather had come out as a missionary for the Church of England, and then when my grandfather came along, he's like, I'm having none of that. So he, uh, he became secular, my father was secular, and so I, I was born into a home that really didn't have much of a Christian influence. Uh, but about the age of six and a half, uh, my parents had divorced, and uh, I was sent to a, a boarding school that happened to be a Christian boarding school. And there I was introduced to Jesus. So having that introduction to Jesus, it left an imprint. I didn't become a Christian. But when I was 13, I went through a crisis. My brother had actually committed suicide. And I was like, I've got to figure life out. And so I looked up a church, and I I cycled out to that church just kind of looking for God. And the people were just really nice, warm, friendly. They sort of loved me and showed me who Jesus was. And I, I read a neat little book on on uh, salvation called Steps to Christ. And so that, that got me started, like, you know, wow, I want to serve you, Lord. And so when I got baptized a couple of years later, um, I was told by one of my friends, hey, you should go out and you should preach the gospel. So we arranged to do an evangelistic series in a nearby town. They gave us a set of sermons. And uh, during that evangelistic series, I saw 19 people make a decision for Jesus. Wow. And I was hooked. I was like, wow, this is what I want to do. In fact, my mother who had come uh, one night, she also made a decision for Jesus. So I was like, "This this is phenomenal. This is what I want to do. And so you were still a young
1: person, a teenager, young adult? I was
0: 16. I was 16 years old. And so what happened was, i I was on a trajectory to uh, go into business. That was kind of my goal and After that experience, and I saw the lights come on for people, I saw them experience who Jesus was, and I saw them do it through something i 'd said uh, that that just changed me, and I said, This is what I want to do for the rest of my life.' So it was it was that experience of evangelism that kind of helped me to say what am I living for and how can I live for something more meaningful?
1: And how many years later you're still doing it? Uh, how, if you don't <laughs> well, mind, just,
0: just quite a few. That that would have been um, thirty two years ago. Wow, praise so. the Lord!
1: Yeah, so you know the the podcast um, Adventology. You know the tagline for for this podcast is "Be ready for Jesus." And, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, it might seem obvious to people that, you know, in order to be ready for Jesus, um, you know, people need to know about Jesus, right? <laughs> right. Um, and, and so, you, you're passionate about helping people share their faith with others so that not just Christians can be ready for Jesus, but, you know, Jesus actually asked us to, to actually bring this gospel message to the whole world. And, um, and so, you know, to talk a little bit about that, you know, cause I think in today's culture, um, you know, sharing one's faith, um, is not viewed, um, positively, um, as much. And, um, even among Christians, they seem to be a little bit hesitant to do so. So for somebody listening, who is maybe just coming into Christianity or, you know, they've They've uh, experienced something in their own life, and and yet they've felt hesitant uh, to share, you know what what do you say to people and, and, and how do you train them, or what is, the, what is the motivation to to share the gospel?
0: Well, I, I look at two things. You know one is um, fears hold people back, and the second is faith moves people forward. And so how can I uh, deal with their fears and create a sense of faith? So dealing with their fears, you know, uh, what are the fears that a person has when they are thinking about witnessing? Well, one fear is rejection. I'm going to say something and I'm going to be rejected for what I say. Uh, a second fear is being insensitive. Uh, a lot of people who've shared faith um, have have sometimes done it in inappropriate ways. They kind of have rammed it down your throat. Uh, they, they feel like they're selling you something. And I did some of that when I first became a Christian. I, you know, I was going to my family, and like you have to believe, but they weren't ready for that approach. Uh, So, so in addition to you know the the fear of rejection and the fear of being insensitive, there's also the fear of just um, saying the wrong thing, of being shown to have a lack of knowledge. What if they ask you a question and you just don't know the answer? And i found that there's very easy ways to overcome those. Um, and so part of what I tell them is, look, all the things you fear about witnessing, we're going to take care of. And we're going to do it in a way that is is a way to, to share your faith with your friends without losing either. Hmm. And then um, when it comes to faith, I, I help them to step out. And sometimes the easiest way for a person to step out in faith is to just go along with somebody who's doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, That happened to me. I went with a pastor who was giving Bible studies, and I saw what he was doing. I went and I preached a series. And uh, by doing it alongside of someone else, it was a little easier. Uh, and then you can see the miracles. You know, sometimes I'll take somebody with me and say, We're just going to go give a Bible study. And they're all nervous, like, What's it going to be like? And it's like I'm dragging them to the torture chamber to go. <laughs> but then when we get there and they see how natural it is and how easy it is. When we're on the way back, I can't shut them up. Did you see what happened when we when you when you mentioned this and then I mentioned this and and we were praying and I could see how God gave just the right answer there and how they lit up and then they accepted Jesus. I, I mean, it's just an amazing experience. But in order to create that faith, they sometimes have to see it tangibly. So, so both dealing with the fears as well as creating some faith is is helpful. And so,
1: for your own experience, you know, you said you were. 16, uh, Mm -hmm. when you stepped out in faith and, and, you know, publicly shared the gospel and, um, but the response that you got kind of hooked you. You, And, and, and so explain a little bit that to somebody who maybe has never, you know, experienced that yet. You know, they, they, they're like, oh, you know, that just, not only does it sound scary and not only does it seem like they're, um, you know, worried about, you know how how they might be perceived by the person they're witnessing to, but you know if you haven't yet experienced that, like try to describe that as far as like your, or maybe even in some of the students you've coached, how does their Christianity yeah. change when they when they start yeah, doing a- this?
0: Absolutely. So, had a young guy come into our program, um, bright guy. In fact, he's now studying law, and just. Uh, just very good mind, a little bit cocky, to be honest. And he, he comes in and he's like, I'll know how to do this. You know, so he was kind of on the line of, I'll, I'll be fine with this. So uh, we send our students out, first of all, just to pray for the community. And then we try and do some little acts of of caring for the community And then we do some surveys where we invite people to have Bible studies. So he gets a Bible study, um, had a big partner. I remember we called the guy Big Mac. because he's a big guy. And they're going in to hold a Bible study. So they invite me to come along. So I come along with them. I think it was their second Bible study. And so here we are uh, in the home. And the guy's just going through the motions, you know, You see this, he's taking them through, and it was an Edda's written set of studies. He's taking them through uh, this set of studies from a media ministry. And as he's going through, uh, she suddenly stops and she says, she asks like a random question uh, that seems totally displaced to this. And she says, you know, um, if I was to go to church, would people accept me? And the guy's like, "Yeah, of course they would." And then he keeps trying to go on with the study. So I was like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 back up!" And I said, "Does that question worry you?" And she says, "Yes, because I once went to church a number of years ago, and I just felt everyone was judging me." Mm. And uh, and then I I don't know I just felt in that moment impressed. I said, "Well, do you do you think God is judging you?" And tears just filled her eyes, and she said, yes, I do. And, and I said to my student, why don't you, you go over to our salvation lesson and just share God's affirming love here. And he's like, okay. I said, we just covered it this morning. <laughs> and he's like, fine, yeah, that's true. So he bounced over, and he gave her a salvation study. And then to his amazement, he watched as she said, I want Jesus in my life. And he was like, well, would you like to accept him right now? And he's, he's looking at me, petrified, like, I don't know what comes next. And she says, yes. And then he said, well, well, why don't we pray? I'll pray first, and then you can pray afterwards. And she accepts Jesus. Not only does she accept Jesus, but then that very weekend she came to church, and we were holding a little set of meetings. And at the end of that meeting, she gets baptized. Wow! And this guy is just blown away. That somebody could come to jesus and and I didn't you know once I'd nudged him in the right direction, I let him do it this was this was somebody he led to Jesus, so his experience was, well, I have meaning in my life, I have found joy that I haven't found in in anything else that I've been doing. I have helped somebody, so I feel like i I'm doing something, and I've perhaps made a friend for eternity I mean. It's pretty hard to beat. That's why I say you get hooked on evangelism. How do you beat bringing somebody else into eternity and giving them peace, giving them joy? This lady connected with the church, she really didn't have a lot of friends. Now suddenly she had friends, she had a family, and that was because of what he did.
1: Yeah, and then when you look around the church, you know, and this isn't necessarily to be critical, but it's just kind of reality, what percentage of people in the church would you say are doing what you just described? Like, just in your experience, I mean, I know it's not maybe an exact number, but what... what...
0: typically less than 10%. Um, So 90% are not doing it. And you may say, well, why? Well, they're busy. They don't know what to do. And as we mentioned at the beginning, they're afraid of what's going to happen when they try to do it. Um, Or sometimes they have tried... And they've had a door slammed in their face or maybe they've had somebody who's um, just dropped off. You know, it's not uncommon when you're giving Bible studies or sharing your faith. People move on or they get interested in other things. And so what happens over a period of time is that you're only going to have about 25% of your Bible studies actually continue. But that's okay, I just reach out to more people, and so mm-hmm. I kind of expect that. But if people are not used to that, they say, yeah, I try to give a Bible study once, it didn't work out. So, so I would say those are the reasons why no one is, not no one, but 90% of people aren't doing it. It's because they don't have time, they don't know what to do, and they're afraid.
1: Right, and it's more than just giving Bible studies too. Right. I mean, you we were talking earlier, and you kind of mentioned that that sometimes comes... At the end uh, of, uh, or maybe it doesn't even happen at all in terms of witnessing in general. And um, so, share a little bit about, you know, maybe some misconceptions. I mean, not that we would discourage people from giving right. Bible studies. We would. I mean, as a pastor, I would love more <laughs> of my members to to give Bible studies. But even even beyond that, what what, what would you say? So, so
0: what we've learned is it takes about thirty touches, thirty links in the chain before a person. Actually decides to follow Jesus, so we shouldn't try and do all of those thirty touches in one go, and uh, often our part is just to nudge a person to the next level, like if they're uh, you know um, not really interested in Christianity, we might want to make them curious, but you're not going to take a person who's disinterested in Christianity or even hostile to Christianity all the way through to being on fire. In one session, you know, and so I find people tend to overshare or undershare, you know, uh, they either don't say anything at all, or they try and share too much. And then they, the, the other person is just not ready for all that information. Uh, you know, Jesus said, I have many things to share with you, but you cannot bear them now. Mm-hmm. Um, so our role is just to nudge them. And so instead of trying to get people to necessarily get a Bible study right away, we might just say, What is it that this person needs to hear right now that might be helpful for them? So, uh, I typically have a threefold strategy when I'm meeting people. I'm praying, and I'm often praying for particular people or for people I'm going to meet. Then I am caring for them because I find that people will respond when we care. Um, And then finally, I'm sharing with them. So, there's a definite order. And to give you an example of how important that order is, I want you to imagine, uh, and, and if you're listening, just imagine your mind's eye, that there is a, a kind of a chasm between Tra- Travis and myself. And when I first make a friendship, I'm laying down a, a little kind of rope bridge between the two of us. But then, because I'm a committed Christian, I have the weakness sometimes to take a tank of truth. And kind of send it along from my side across the chasm to Travis's side across that rope bridge. But as soon as it hits the rope bridge, what's going to happen? It's going to collapse. Right. That rope bridge represents trust. Now, over a period of time, I'm going to put more ropes around it. I'm maybe going to build across to Travis. And I can send a bicycle across. I can walk across but I can send a tank of truth across, not until that bridge is really strong. So in evangelism, we're always looking to share a truth that the trust bridge will allow. And the more trust I've built with the person, the more truth I can share. And so um, sometimes I can develop a trust bridge right away with a person. And other times it may take me years. And our role is to simply keep building the trust bridge and share truth that is appropriate to where that relationship is at. Wow.
1: And so that might look different, um, completely different, depending who you're talking to. So, you know, if we have an idea that evangelism always results in, you know, X result, um, it's we, we might be disappointed in, in our efforts because it didn't result in...
0: in yeah, they they didn't embrace um, the truth. They didn't say the sinner's prayer or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I think we really need to change our perspective. I, I like what's written in the book, Conversational Evangelism, where it says our goal should be to get the person desiring to continue the conversation. Like, that was so good. I really want to hear more of that. Um, so that's certainly... My goal, I'm looking to see how can I awaken uh, an interest in them, in spiritual things. And so, you know, I'll be sitting next to someone on a plane. It's a lot more difficult than it used to be because they're all watching the screens now. Right, But still, conversation will start up. And what I will do is after I've built some trust by just being open and chatting and dialoguing, I'll move the conversation towards spiritual things. and uh, And I'll just... I'll just ask, how did that make you feel? Because I've found that feelings, emotions, and spirituality are closely tied together. And so when they start describing their feelings, I can say, that must have been really hard for you, or I'm sure that was tough. I'm validating their feelings. And then they go, yeah, you know, actually, it was pretty tough. And then I'll go, did that that affect how you related to God? And I made a shift from emotions now to spirituality, but it's a very natural shift. Mm-hmm. And the person would say, actually, I have struggled with God. I, I don't go to church right now, and I don't know that I'd want to go to church. And and suddenly we're talking about very different things, and it's a very natural conversation. And my goal, again, is not I'm not going to share, uh, you know, you got to be saved. I'm going to leave them wanting to be saved, wanting to say, how could I put God in my life? So I told a story earlier today that you heard about sitting next to a guy where I did that with him where he was like, I'm totally opposed to Christianity. And when I asked him why, he told me about his dad being this on fire um, and sending him to hellfire, Baptist lay preacher. And as I listened to him and then shared my own story, um, he just softened because he shared his story with me that was about a spiritual abuse. And then I shared a story with him about how people had loved me and shown me Jesus. And at the end, he just said, you know, I think I'm going to give God another chance. So in that little interaction, he, um, he shifted, and that was good enough for me. And then, as you heard this morning, he also slipped a note in my hand, and I was like, "Maybe it's his phone number," but actually, as I was leaving, it was a hundred-dollar bill. So I joked, I, "I've been witnessing on planes ever since." <laughs> I would too. It, it's a, it's just about taking them to the next level. It's not about trying to get them to make a decision for Jesus. It's about trying to get them to make the next best decision. Right. And I
1: think a lot of times if, if we're saying, well, if they don't become, you know, my particular dominant denomination, you know, I'm Seventh-day Adventist. So therefore um, that may be one of the objections to, to someone saying, well, I don't, I don't want to witness because I don't want to feel like I'm a salesman. You know, I don't want to feel like I'm trying to, you know, sell them something and say, Hey, become, become like me. Um, and, And so that becomes maybe a, A a hindrance,
0: and and that's a really good point because you do not want to uh, befriend a person just so that they will join your denomination. That just feels so fake, you know. Somebody comes alongside, hey buddy, you know. Next thing they're selling you something, and then you realize you were never my friend. You just wanted to sell me your product. Um, So what we should do? We should love people whether or not they become Christian, whether or not they join our denomination. But when you love a person, once you share what's valuable to you, imagine if I really love my wife, uh, but meanwhile, I have a life-saving serum that I'm taking. Uh, let's just say I'm HIV positive, and I'm taking this antiretroviral stuff that's keeping me alive. And I know my wife is dying from the same thing, from, from HIV. She's got AIDS. And I have this, but I don't want to share it with her. Would that be love? No. you know. So, But I, I wouldn't be befriending her and pretending to be her friend just so I can give her the HIV stuff. I, I should love her for who she is. And then because I love her, I'll share the incredible good news that's changed my life.
1: And, and I think that's kind of getting at what you're saying. You can't share what you don't have to, to a certain degree – and so sometimes I think a lot of people are like, well, you know, I, if I don't, I just don't feel it. So, you know, I'm just struggling myself. So how, I don't have time to think about other people. And, um, and maybe it's a given you'd think, well, of course you wouldn't want to witness unless you yourself have experienced salvation. But, but a lot, there's a lot of Christians, I think that you know, are struggling there and therefore the witnessing just yeah. feels like guilt.
0: And, and when you try to witness from a basis of guilt, it feels fake. And then you can kind of feel like, yeah, so you want to say the sinner's prayer? That's not something you would say, but somehow this is how it's programmed. This is what you're going to tell them to do. So um, here's the great thing about what I might call natural evangelism. Natural evangelism works within your skill set. And the the crazy thing is, is as you share, your faith comes alive. So you don't have to wait to feel it; you have to share it to feel it. And with natural evangelism, it'll work like this: you like uh, baking cookies, then you're going to use the baking of cookies to share your faith. You're going to you're going to share something with someone, maybe, uh, and maybe use that as a conversation starter, just to say, you know, I just want to let you know. I, I'm not only am I giving you cookies, but I'm also praying for you. Uh, that's sharing your faith. Um, natural evangelism, uh, some people are really good at invitations. So they kind of struggle themselves, but they're really good at inviting people. Why don't you come out to this? It'll be great. They just have a way of persuading you. And then they use that. Um, other people are, are really good at doing things. You know, they They're not much of a talker, but they can fix things. And so they fix someone's vehicle and then they, they just mention something, you know, they, they just have a casual conversation while they're fixing someone's car about what Jesus means to them. And And the more natural you do it, you don't have to fake it to make it. <laughs> what you're doing is you begin to share and then you suddenly find that it becomes more real to you. So as you're sitting there you know, giving the cookies and like, what do I say? You know, I don't know what I'm going to say. But you give the cookies and you say, you know, I have been praying for you. And then you you suddenly find it comes to your mind. You know, I was once praying about something and God answered my prayer. And, and you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And then you share it with the other person. And they're like, wow, that's really neat. And you're going, that was really neat. God, you are real. And you're feeling it in a way that you weren't feeling it before.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I know as a, as a preacher… Um you know, I get to experience that a lot because, um, at least for me, I mean, I write. Maybe at the beginning, I, I would write sermons based on
0: you got to do it what
1: <laughs> somebody was telling me, like a formula. Right. But over time, it just became it's like it's an outflow of who I am, and uh, and then when I do that, when I'm able to express a a thought or feeling, um, in, in in that setting. And then you're able to see how God uses your words, my words, um, to touch a heart um, in a church service. You, you know, you, you're like, wow, this is this is amazing. It is addictive to that to that <laughs> to that sense of like, you know, if I didn't have that experience, you know, I don't think I would ever become a pastor. And I'm sure, yeah. like you were saying, you probably would have never got involved in in teaching and evangelism without that experience. And yet, there's so many Christians. You know who, unfortunately, um, you know have have felt the stir of God in them, but um, but have never seen the the natural outflow of themselves or being who they are, and and how God can use that. Use that. And you're just saying, "Hey, you just got to do it, right? Yeah, you just yeah. you just got to like." There's, it, it, there's it's, a
0: book called "Just Walk Across the Room," <laughs> <laughs> and and there's there's something to that. You just start with something. Uh, because expression deepens impression. and as you express something, a spiritual truth, you actually are impressing it on your mind. And so to not to not witness is to be like the Dead Sea. You know, you're getting in all this nutrient, but you don't have an outlet. So in the end it actually kills everything that's there. you know, there's nothing alive there other than some little microorganisms uh, because, it, 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 is, it only has an inlet, but it has no outlet. And I think a lot of Christians are bloated Christians. And um, it, taking in food without exercising is not a good idea. And so uh, Christians go to church every Sabbath, and eventually the food doesn't even taste that good. Mm-hmm. But when you're sharing and, and when you are um just allowing God to use you, something happens. So this, this just actually recently happened with my daughter because um, she had been having some questions about God and there was some, uh, just something kind of like, I, I'm trying to figure this out. She's 16 now, so she's right at that time of, why does this happen and how do we deal with these traditions and so on? And so the other day she's, she signed up to do a worship at a school and she shared her testimony. And I said, "How did it go?" And she said, "Dad, it was, it was amazing. <laughs> because when I got up, I, I like wasn't sure exactly of what I was going to say, but then I felt God there. Mm-hmm. And I began to share it, and she said some people started crying, and uh, and other people came up to me afterwards, and I and I and it suddenly it's real for me." And I was like, yeah. (laughs) When you share your faith, it becomes real. When you don't share it, it feels like it's not real. Wow.
1: And that's interesting because, you know, there's, I don't know, you know, in therapy at least, um, you know, sometimes just saying things actually is all the person needs to do to actually overcome what is bothering them and giving them anxiety. But just having that opportunity to say it out loud or to, to say what they know is true but but their mind has been telling them otherwise, um, just speaking kind of is healing in itself. And and so um, in the same way, I've never thought about it like that, but but just speaking faith, speaking words, um, you know, in faith
0: actually makes it real. It, it 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 reminds you of God's power. And then when you see that power begin to touch someone else's life and you recognize this is supernatural, uh, it, it, makes a, it just makes a huge difference. So uh, <laughs> we had uh, a couple of students going out once, um, and they were, they were just discouraged because uh, they were wanting to share their faith, but they had tried this, you know, surveys, and nothing was happening. And then they knocked on this one lady's house, and uh, she welcomes them in, and she says, I got a question for you. And they, they happen to be Adventist. Um, so she says, Are you Adventist? And, she, and they were like, looked at each other. Normally, that's a trick question. It's like, you, You're out of here. But they said, Well, yes, we are Adventist Christians. <laughs> and we taught them what to say. And she says, Well, good. Because what happened was um, I was studying with uh, some people three years ago. They happened to be from our lay uh, training school, and she says I was studying with him three years ago, and then I moved, and we lost contact. And uh, you're the only ones that I'll trust. <laughs> and so uh, they were like, "What?" And she she sat them down. She said, "You know, I want to study the Bible with you." So they started studying the Bible with her, and then they went down the street, knocked on someone else's door, and that lady wanted to study the Bible with with them. And so what happened is those two ladies were neighbors. They got to know each other through these Bible studies, and then they came out to a series of meetings where they both made decisions for Jesus. And I asked the guys afterwards, I said, "You know, how did you feel um, when you found out that this lady wanted to study the Bible with you? And they said, we went from not believing that our faith was real because we'd had so many disappointments to saying God is present. This is miraculous. He's been leading here. And then to see not only her, but her neighbor make decisions for Jesus. They said, this is the most amazing thing in the world. I want to do this for the rest of my life. And my encouragement to you out there is just try it. Just get out there and try it. You don't know what what can happen. If you're not sure what to do, uh, there are good resources. Mm.
1: Share a little bit about that. Like, I know you you're, you have some resources that, that you're associated with. Um, what, what are some practical things that, you know, besides getting involved in your local church, would probably be the easiest thing to do?
0: Um, so, yeah, you can uh, definitely speak to your local pastor. If you tell them, I, I'm interested in trying to do some witnessing, what should I do? He probably, she probably has resources. I think um, you can also get uh, information from... It is written. They have uh, some good information on uh, what you can do. There's something called Soul365, and uh, we've we've got a bunch of videos on there that you can just watch that give you some ideas for how you can share your faith. Uh, One of my friends has written a neat book called Awakening Spiritual Interest, so that's by Annie Morgan, and um, it has some great ideas just about how you can uh, speak spiritual spiritually into someone's life and how you can be, do that beginning process. Uh, another one of my friends, Gary Gibbs, has written a book called Winsome Witnessing. And uh, that's a little bit more Bible study focused, but it has some great ideas too. So uh, there's a lot of good information out there. Um, AFCO and um, Arise both have some online uh, uh, trainings that you can do. And uh, Ama- you, amazing facts uh, college of evangelism, amazing facts college of evangelism. Arise is uh based out of both um Oregon and um Australia, and uh, now some of those are going to be paid programs, so uh, right.
1: And you, don't you guys host a, a program and, and as well? And we
0: host a program. So, in addition to our online salt 365, there's also a summer program uh, that's called Somersault, if you want to turn your world upside down. And then we have a 16-week program uh, that also has college credit if a person wants it, uh, where we will take you through a complete evangelism training cycle.
1: Wow. And… Uh you know, so, so there's lots of resources out there. Um, I mean, what would you say, you know, as, as the first step, you know, maybe not willing to, okay, go out and and start getting trained and and maybe that'll happen after (laughs) they've gotten that first taste of it. uh, And like, wow, this is great. I want to become more efficient at this. I want to, you know, uh, maybe even dedicate my life to this. And, and so, but even before you get to that point necessarily, you know, What would be something practical like right away, like today, someone, or tomorrow, they could start doing?
0: Something that they could start out with is, I definitely believe, start praying. Mm -hmm. Then they could find a Bible verse that really touches their lives, and all they have to do is, as they're with probably someone that they know, they could say, you know, I found a really neat Bible verse, and... uh, it's It's really transformed the way I think about life. Do you mind if I share it with you? So this is that's a simple thing you can do, particularly if you know the person. and you can always practice on on Christians who are not going to reject that at first just to get yourself comfortable. Um, and then you know share it and share something powerful about it. You've already had your first witnessing experience. Another practical thing you can do is um, is doing a, a care package for someone. Just put something together, uh, whether it's bread or cookies, or you know, if you're a guy, you might not do any of those. You may find something else. Buy buy someone a tool, <laughs> um, and and just put together a pa- a care package that you've you pray about someone in your life, and you share that care package with them. Um, and if you're if you're able to find someone who's already doing Bible studies, who's already witnessing, hang out with them. Mm. Uh, seeing it is the most powerful and effective way to happen. You don't have to be like them, but you may pick up some things that will help make it easier.
1: Yeah, I like that, um, you know, being able to to connect with uh, people who are already doing it and um, and just making that commitment because I think – like you mentioned earlier in our conversation, you know, one of the reasons that people don't do it, or at least they say that is because they're so busy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, really what it comes down to is, is kind of like priorities, right? So, um, well, talk about the importance of, of that commitment, you know, because it doesn't really necessarily happen. I mean, I guess it could uh, by chance, but a lot of times witnessing is intentional, right? So, you right. have to kind of Create that kind of mindset, right? Most
0: people desire to witness, but they're not intentional about it. So, this is something, if you're listening, you have to try this week, because it'll be gone next week. Um, So, you turn your desire into intentionality, and uh, so the way I do it, as I've kind of been mentioning, is a a prayer, care, and share. So, I find a couple of people that I'm going to pray for, and then... I figure out how can I show care for them to build that trust bridge. And then if I um, have built that trust bridge, done something for them, I'm going to look for ways to share with them. And I'm going to try and share at the heart level, try and, and and find my way to the heart. So what crisis have they gone through? What relationship are issues are they dealing with? Where might they have a hole in their heart that only God can fill? And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just try and find a way to, to speak into that need. Um, if I do it out of love, I can't really go wrong because mm. people will sense I love them. Even if I say the wrong words, it doesn't really matter. What they sense is you, you love me. The only reason why you're bringing up Jesus is because you care about me. And when, they, when they've already sensed that, um, it just works fantastically. So, an example: uh, Zane was a friend of my wife's who had stopped attending church. He had gotten really depressed, really discouraged, and um, he he had gotten involved in some sin issues. And he was just like, "I am not going to be able to um, to be able to reach out to." to anyone or anything to go to church. It's just not possible. So we began. We just started praying for Zane, and we made it a commitment that every week we would pray for Zane. And then uh, we started, you know, doing little care packages, dropping off a phone call, a text message, just letting him know that we cared. And uh, when we then got the courage up to say, hey, Zane, why don't you come to church? He kind of felt obligated. (laughs) So he came to church, nothing spectacular, and then he didn't come to church for like months. And we said, well, maybe church is not the right place. So we had a small group that we were doing a Bible study. And we said, let's bring Zane to that. And so Zane came out to the Bible study and it was very relaxed. And that was appropriate for him. So he could just be relaxed, he could be himself. And then what he really wanted was time with us. So we would chat afterwards. And after we'd been doing that for, I don't know, a couple of months, he suddenly said, hey, I think I'm going to come to church tomorrow. He didn't, (laughs) but um, yeah, I slept in. But the next week he did. And then he started coming like every three, four weeks, he would start coming. And then I remember the afternoon. Uh, One afternoon, we had a little church thing, again, more relaxed. That was his style. Uh, We were going for a hike. And he came along, we started having a conversation. And he admitted, look, I really struggle with depression. And so as we chatted about his depression, um, it's just like something lifted from him. And he says, you know, I really feel that God's been working in my life this week. And 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 now I'm beginning to sense that the depression is going away. It's not as bad as it was. And I said, why don't we pray about it and pray that God does something for you? So we prayed. And of course, I, I encouraged him, you know, don't just suddenly get off your medication. But uh, let's let's just keep praying and suddenly he started coming every week that was a turning point for him and uh, what was really neat was about 4 months later i had the privilege of baptizing zane because he had and this took 3 years wow <laughs> this whole process but he had he had gone through that process where he said i'm just going to follow god and i'm going to see what he does and he had seen the miracle and if I hadn't shared with Zane, if I hadn't prayed for him, if I hadn't cared for him, if if I hadn't shared with him, I don't think he would have made those decisions. So it's worth it. Mm. It's definitely worth it. And and who knows who is in your circle that could be benefited by the gospel of Jesus.
1: Yeah, and I wanted to kind of um, kind of start wrapping up with uh, a text that I think uh, you know. I do, and I think I know you believe that we're living um, very near to the second coming of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And um, and yet, at the same time, people have been saying this for a long time, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, at least the Adventist church in particular, you know, we've been saying it for, um, you know, 175 years. Um, and, and, you know, if you look in the Bible, um, all the way back to, to Paul's day and, and in the book of Revelation, when it was written, you know, they're saying... I'm coming quickly, you know, so essentially you find, uh, you know, all through the Christian era, there's just been this, um, this anticipation of Jesus coming. Um, and yet he hasn't come yet. And and so there's this text here, um, that's, uh, in second Peter chapter three, it says, but do not overlook this one fact beloved that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting? and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Um, I just, I find that text very challenging in many ways, um, you know, because God obviously doesn't count time the way we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I think, and this is, you can let me know how you feel, but I think there's a sense of urgency in the scripture um, for a reason, right? Even though, Hey, he hasn't come yet. You see this sense of urgency all throughout the scripture uh, that he wants Christians to have. And and the urgency seems to a lot of times be connected to witnessing Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously living godly lives, but those two tend to go together. Um, and so, I guess my my question is, um, you know, this idea of hastening the coming of the Lord. What does that mean to you? And 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 connect that, you know, to just everything we've been talking about so far.
0: So, I I think there is a way in which we bring the coming of Jesus closer. Um, Revelation eighteen has this picture of God's glory kind of filling the earth. And his glory represents his character. And so right at the end of time, it seems like there will be a message of love, a message of mercy that goes to the entire world. And Revelation 19 is the next chapter. That's Jesus' return. And Jesus comes riding on the white horse. So, if Revelation 18 comes before Revelation 19, it suggests that one of the final things that must happen before Jesus returns is that there is this incredible message of love, that God's character is shown to the world. And I don't see it all wrapping up until that happens. So, yes, I do think that this is part of it. Um, And I also think that the only way I can be saved is ultimately if... Uh, I'm witnessing to others because mm. because it's when I'm reaching out, when I'm sharing my faith, that I really come to understand God's love for me. And so I, I don't know. I don't think there will be anyone in heaven. This is a strong statement, so be ready for this. I don't think there will be anyone in heaven who has not shared their faith. Wow. In fact, you could even say... um there won't be anyone in heaven who's not won a soul. Now that, that might be going further, but if you haven't touched a single person in your life with the incredible gospel of Jesus Christ, it makes you wonder: is it really that incredible?
1: Right. Yeah, and and just staying in Revelation, it just kind of reminds me of the text about in in um, Revelation twelve about how we overcome, and and it says. Yeah, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our it's testimony, true. right? And and it doesn't just say one or the other. Right. We're not. It, we don't get to heaven by how many people we talk to no. because it's not. We're not salesmen, and we're not getting points uh, for for every quote unquote soul we win. But we also, you know, it's not just about the blood of the Lamb where we just sit and and accept that, but. There's- yeah, that,
0: that's, that's powerful because uh, you are not saved by your witnessing. Right. But your witnessing is an evidence that you are saved. And that's why the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony are both important. And overcoming, uh, whether it's the devil, end time forces, or just overcoming sin, mm-hmm. I think is so much easier when you're witnessing, when you're sharing your faith. And I can't fully explain all of the reasons why, but I just know that it's true that it takes the focus off of yourself and it helps you to reach out to others. Mm, wow.
1: So to kind of wrap things up, um, you know, you've you've made I think you've made a good case for why um our listeners should should um step out in faith a little bit here. Um and, and you've alluded to how this has impacted your own life. But just share a little bit about your own commitment to this. I mean, you're a pretty mm-hmm. busy guy, and um, and yet, um, and you're helping other people to learn to do this. Um, but
0: but what does this commitment mean to you? So a while back, I realized that I can't I can't be training others to do this if it's if I'm not doing it myself. And so I made a commitment. Every year, I'm going to find someone I can share my faith with. And of course, many years, I've shared with more than just one person. But I'm going to invest in someone. And um, the most powerful ways in which that commitment has played out has been with my own family. So my dad was a secular atheist. And um, just through kind of a more quiet witnessing... He called our family together one day and said, "I want to become a Christian," and we were taken back. Now, I had left some material behind and a a Bible, just hoping that one day he'd pick it up, and he did. You know, um, and then we began to have conversations—just powerful conversations about. Um, Christianity and how it works. And he was like, well, what about evolution? What about this? And I, I just, I never got defensive. I just said, well, you should really consider this. Or, you know, I've been reading this. I think you'll find it interesting. Uh, so we had these kinds of dialogues. I gave him a book on the life of Christ called The Messiah. And um, he just, he, you know, he struggled with it. He fought with it. But he also really appreciated it. And then I gave him another whole set of uh, materials, taking him through the Bible. And by now he was he was really starting to read through it. He was reading, he read through the entire Bible, and he read through this kind of commentary series. And uh, at the end, he he wrote to me and he said, "I've never felt so close to God." And a week later, he was gone. Um, and during that that time, when he said, "I've never felt so close to God," I was able to lead him to fully accept salvation. So for me, and then he had a stroke one week later, for me, this commitment to reach somebody every year, I had no idea that one of those people would be my dad. Mm. And I just look at all of the differences that's made, and I'm like, wow, thank you, Lord. Uh, that I can't imagine heaven without my dad. But what would have happened if I hadn't have made the commitment? And then he would become the one that I would reach out to and lead to Jesus Christ. And this is what I realized. God is in charge of this. I, I don't have to do this out of guilt. Well, what if somebody's not saved because I didn't say something? It's more like, okay, God, who do you have in mind for me to speak to today? And then it's exciting rather than guilt-driven. And and uh, not every day. I mean, some days I just go to work and teach and come back. But I've been amazed how many days God has had me to speak to just the right person, say just the right thing. And I was like, wow, God, that was fantastic. Could we do this again tomorrow? <laughs> and that's how I think Evangel- levine is as opposed to just evangelism.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Adventology. Our goal in this podcast is for you to be ready for Jesus. And the best way to be ready for Jesus is to spend time getting to know him. Knowing Jesus is everything. And that is why we spent the time today studying the importance of personal evangelism with Dr. Alan Parker. But don't just take our word for it. Study it out for yourself. And for our hands-on experience, I encourage you to check out our website, adventology.com, where you can find the show notes for this episode as well as all of our previous episodes. Also, if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Or better yet, leave a rating and review from wherever you downloaded this podcast from. And if you really liked it, you become one of our supporters on Patreon by finding us at patreon backslash adventology. All right, well, I enjoyed our time together today, and I look forward to seeing you back on our next episode. Until then, Maranatha.